get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome, everybody. TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. Great show for you today. We lead off, as usual, with Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Gus Katsaros after that from McKean's Hockey, one of their terrific analysts. Then from NHL Network and TSN Stats Center, Mike Kelly. And some NHL Fantasy Talk with NHL.com fantasy hockey writer James Harding. Lots to get to on the show. Follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes or the TSN1050.ca show page as well. And we'll post everything on Twitter also. But let's get right to it. I spoke with Travis Yost at TSN.ca a little bit earlier today. Travis, before we get started, we got a lot of reaction to your hot food take, your hatred of breakfast last week. Any more hot food takes this week? I, I, I've perused your Twitter. I couldn't find any immediately. Are you, are you attacking lunch now? No, but I'm, I will say I'm, I'm very cool on the, uh, on the pumpkin heading into cider and then eggnog trend that we go through every year during the holiday season. I, I, I can do apple cider, but I, I truly think eggnog, is disgusting, and the same thing oh. is true for pretty much anything pumpkin-based. So oh, one for three on holiday spices. I did have that question on I think <laughs> Tuesday or Wednesday. Actually, a reader randomly emailed me a hockey question and then put that at the end, so I made sure to ping him back on it. What about pumpkin pie, Travis? Don't break my heart here. Do you not like pumpkin pie? No, it's, it's oh. got to be apple pie. So the veteran move is apple pie. The oh, first move boy. is pumpkin pie. Okay, you know what? You're, you're, hurting, me. you're hurting me on the inside <laughs> here, so let's move on. Let's go. Let's go to the Vegas Golden Knights. That cheers everybody up, right? And as you mentioned in your latest piece at TSN.ca, Golden Knights GM George McPhee and his staff believe last year was no fluke. And they are now locking up much of their young core. So the latest to receive a contract extension is Nate Schmidt. Vegas locked him up six-year, $35.7 million contract, which means he has an average salary of $5.9 million through 2024-25. What do you make of this deal specifically and generally the idea of Vegas holding on and making sure they got a good run left in them with that solid core? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, you know, Vegas has spent a lot of money locking up a lot of their core players in the last eight, nine months. And, you know, some of them were obvious. Like Jonathan Marchstow getting $5.5 million for – I mean, you could give him $5.5 million until the end of time, and that deal is going to be favorable mm-hmm. to the team. That's, that's on one end of the spectrum. I think a much more debatable contract was the four-year, I believe, $28 million deal they gave Marc-Andre Fleury. That puts him as one of the highest-paid goalies in the league. And, you know, you always, you always get squirrely when a goalie comes off a, his, his career year and he's 34 years old yeah. and you're staring down the bat- barrel of $28 million. I, I think that one's on the other end of the spectrum. And then, you know, I, I, I really try not to write it's an okay, uh, you know, it's okay type pieces for, for TSN. It's not very sexy, but I, I saw a lot of people – uh, criticizing the Nate Schmidt deal. And I, I got to say, I, I didn't really understand it. Um, we're talking about a defenseman here who by, comfortably, by two and a half minutes, led Vegas in ice time last year. The Knights had really, really strong results with him on the ice. Um, and, and if you kind of look at where UFA defensemen have landed over the years, um, when they are you know, in the, in the top 10 or top 15% of their position in terms of ice time or usage and scoring, they're generally going to eat up around seven to eight percent of the cap at a minimum, and that's that's irrespective of you know what what the salary cap is that year. So I'm I'm looking at it based on when the term of the contract signed. 
And Nate Schmidt actually comes in a little under 7% if you assume like a 3 or 4% growth on the cap, um, you know, for, through 2024, which is about where it's been over the last five or six years. My point being, if you want a quasi-top pairing, you know, elite second-pairing defenseman uh, that was your number one defenseman last year, and all signs point to him being a top-four guy for the foreseeable future, that costs quite a bit of money historically uh-huh. in the UFA market. So, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think an interesting question was why now? Why, why use the money? Why lock Schmidt up so early? Um, he, did, he still had, obviously, this year left on his deal. Um, I, I don't think they paid much of a premium, though, when you compare it to other contracts that UFA defenders signed. And I think people are going to have a, a, a bit of an awakening when they see the next and, you know, into the foreseeable future, these UFA contracts. We had Carl Alsner last year. We had John Carlson. You know, a, a lot of these names, that's generally what they eat up. Now, I do think a different discussion point, and it's worth, worthy of debate, is is it ever in a team's best interest to not pay superstar, to pay superstar, non-superstar defensemen you know, top four money for a long period of time. I actually think that's a fascinating debate because, you know, historically under the current CBA, where where we see a lot of the money going in terms of player salary allocation is really in the middle class. And I, you know, at, at some point, it's like the housing market. It's going to come back down. Right. So I, you know, I think that's a debate for another day. But at, at least as it pertains to where Schmidt landed and, and what type of player Vegas has and what that contract ended up looking like. I think it was actually a pretty good deal for both sides. So not a very sexy take, but I think it worked for both. <laughs> well, it, let's swing that now into how it could affect the Toronto Maple Leafs. And TSN hockey analyst Ray Ferraro said on TSN 1050 earlier this week that the Nate Schmidt extension is, quote, a death blow to the Leafs' chances of retaining Jake Gardner this summer. How active, you talked about the market, how active of a market do you think there will be for Gardner should he choose to explore UFA options? I think there's going to be a huge market. Again, any any time you have a top three, top four defenseman hit the market, those guys are, at least in a relative sense, going to be quote-unquote overpaid. I mean, just so many teams around the league are desperate for another top four guy, especially in the modern era where a player like Schmidt or Gardner, you know, you, you don't really think of them as, as comparables, but they're both high-end skaters. They move the puck really well. Um, and they drive results, and you know all both of them check all three of those boxes. Uh, I I do think though that here's the reality of the Jake Gardner situation. He was always going to get paid, irrespective of which Schmidt was paid, because again you have these surrounding data points on UFA defensemen where they eat a lot. So again, about seven or eight percent of the salary cap consistently go to these types of defensemen. If you looked at the the Leafs cap situation, I would argue that the uh, the nail in the coffin, and maybe not the final nail. I, I still I still offer up an opportunity where a player might say, "Hey, I'll take eighty five percent of what I'm really worth to stick around a Stanley Cup team," and I think that's very possible. So I would right. not rule it out. But if Gardner was truly seeking his quote value, uh, I think the nail was John Tavares. I mean, as soon as the Leafs committed to John Tavares. And they know this. They knew there's going to be an opportunity cost associated with that, and pretty much every team in the league is going to make that decision because John Tavares is that good. I mean, when you have an impact player of his kind, you're going to make trade-offs elsewhere. Now, will it come by way of Gardner? I don't know that that to be the case. You know, could they move a Nazem Kadri? I don't think they'd do that either. But there, there's pieces around that roster that eat into their salary cap space that they can play around with. So they, they have a lot of roster flexibility um, but, yeah, the, the other reality is they are in a bit of a cap crunch, and that, that became even more true 
the minute they signed Tavares. So, again, Gardner is going to get paid handsomely. Um, but that was true yesterday, last week, last month, probably last year, too. Schmidt just, I think, reinforced that point. In conversation with Travis Yost of TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Travis, the Atlantic Division pitcher is already taking the form that many of us expected it would. Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay in those first three spots. We know what makes Toronto and Tampa Bay so good. It's their depth. But Boston's scoring comes almost entirely from their top line and their top line only. So how viable is a system like that where you're so top-heavy? Andy, can we talk about two things here? One, we should have put an over-under on how long it would take for Toronto, Boston, Tampa to solidify as the top three (laughs) in that division. Because I didn't, you know, as as confident as we were, I did not think two weeks was going to be the answer. But evidently, we're already there. Here we are. Even in a league filled with parity, it took all of two weeks for those teams (laughs) to the rest of the top. The the other the other really interesting thing is you mentioned Boston having depth issues. You know, I joked earlier this week. This is now year what five. You know, how long have we been on the air together? And I think yeah. every year we've talked about Boston being a top-heavy team. That's right. I, I don't think they anticipated having that type, this this magnitude of an issue this year. But, you know, the reality is, uh, once again, outside of the Patrice Bergeron line and their top pairing, they're getting nothing. And that will for sure be good enough to finish top three in that division because that line is so good and they will consistently get 60 to 62% of the goals and they will consistently pull about 30 to 35% of the ice time in games, that they're just going to be very hard to beat. But every time we talk about the Bruins, it's not will they make the playoffs. The real discussion point is can they beat Toronto, Tampa Bay? Can they get through the division? Can they make a deep push in the playoffs? And, you know, I thought, I thought that discussion had went to bed when a truly, I mean, let's be honest, two years ago that Ottawa team was not very good. And they took care of Boston handily simply because they had better depth and they were able to bottle up that Patrice Bergeron line to some degree uh, for the entire series. And, you know, I I think that Bruins front office, if I had to make a bet, I would say that Boston is comfortably, comfortably one of the two or three teams most likely to make a buy type of move well before the trade deadline if this continues. Mm. I think you could probably throw St. Louis in that mix because I think we're seeing a lot of you know, coaching hot seat talk and what, what happens with the Blues. But, you know, the Bruins are getting results. The problem is they're not getting results, you know, at the individual level, that further down the lineup. And I, I don't think the front office is going to let that permeate for very long. I, I think they recognize they're in win-now mode again. And the reality is if, if their younger players don't step up, they're going to have to buy off someone. Last one for you here, Travis. We've seen early on in the season, Buffalo holding down a wild-card playoff spot. And in the Eastern Conference, pitcher teams on the rise. We talk lots about Carolina, New Jersey. Where do you think the Sabres fit into this pitcher? Because this is an important transition year for them to really see if they are going to be on the bubble of making the playoffs or not. Yeah, uh, the, the Sabres are really interesting. Uh, they're, they're not getting much of anything offensively from the majority of their lineup, but two things have actually played out reasonably well. Number one, they're getting decent goaltending, predominantly from Carter Hutton, uh, which is a big win for them. Now, it sounds kind of weird, but those Sabres teams in the last four or five years have usually had decent goaltending. It's just that they're so comically outshot, it's never mattered. <laughs> um, they've been able to right-size that a little bit, and I, I think the big piece, I would argue it's one of the four or five biggest storylines so far in the year, is Jeff Skinner has been incredible for the Sabres. He yeah. is exactly what they envisioned when they made that move with Carolina to bring him in, put an elite attacking option on their first line, a bona fide goal scorer. And again, you know, it's really interesting. And I think this is where numbers 
can tell a, a pretty good story. Um, you know, Jeff Skinner last year was so poor on the assist front and a lot, or so poor, so poor on the point total front. And a lot of people point, you said, okay, Skinner had a rough year. If you look into the numbers though, Skinner's assist rates were way lower because his teammates just simply couldn't buy a goal. And it was a lot of randomness baked mm. into that in Buffalo. His teammates are scoring a bit more frequently. And guess what? The Jeff Skinner's point totals are back normally where they were because the goal scoring never lift. Now the point totals are back. Nice. Yeah, well, they're they're one of the more interesting teams to watch in the division and really in the whole Eastern Conference. Travis, thank you uh, as always, buddy. Let's do it again next week. All right. Take care, Andy. There he goes, Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost for hockey takes and food takes, most of which I completely disagree with. We'll take the break and come back. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey, one of their terrific analysts, will join me next here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. TSN Hockey Analytics rolling along here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Get the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. Instagram at AndyMCSports. Let's get to what is going to be. We've had him on earlier in the season, but now a, he'll be a regular contributor here on TSN Hockey Analytics Season 5. Very excited to welcome back my next guest, hockey analyst at McKean's Hockey in Roto World. It's Gus Katsaros. Gus, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely, and we'll be having you on a lot this season. Let's get to some Maple Leafs talk off the bat here. And I want to begin with a clip from Darren Drager's interview on First Up with Michael Landsberg and Carlo Koliakovo on TSN 1050 yesterday regarding the whole situation surrounding William Nylander and whether or not a trade is in order for the Leafs to make this, this whole deal work. But let's hear what Drager had to say. So I'm in Winnipeg, and and uh, another team, an Eastern Conference team, it doesn't matter, I don't have to disclose the identity, uh, but it was just a, a, a theory, an idea thrown at me. So, you know, this exec said to me, you guys spend all this time in Toronto talking about trading Nylander, could Kasperi Kapanen be the guy they move, could it be this? He said, what about what about Kadri? Now, why does it have to be Nylander or Kapanen that gets traded because of the the salary crunch at the end of the year? You know, there are teams around the National Hockey League that look at the Toronto Maple Leafs same way we do and, and realize, of course, that something is going to have to give here. If everybody gets the piece of the pie that they're comfortable with, somebody's leaving. It's, it's, it's just financial common sense. But does it have to be Nylander? Does it have to be Kapanen? Maybe maybe you get a sweeter deal, a better deal for Kadri. So what do you make of that, Gus? Do you think someone has to be moved out in Toronto? Well, I think that the natural course of where the Leafs are kind of heading is going to make a lot of those decisions for them. I mean, uh, the notion of trading Kadri, who at this point, there are some concerns. But, I mean, at this point, you have a third-line center at a very favorable contract with cost certainty for the next few years. Um, he provides a skilled and a gritty element that we saw was sorely missed um, when he wasn't in the lineup versus Boston in the playoffs. And, and he, it's hard to replace those components at such a comparable price. Um, so to move him, it, you're going to have to eventually replace those skills. So it, shifting chairs along the deck of the Titanic is not necessarily <laughs> a very good way of, of 
building a roster. So it seemed, though, that that conversation really started to revolve around whether or not the Leafs were able to afford keeping Jake Gardner. And to me, I think that the issue is um, you can't trade a skilled forward in order to have um, Jake Gardner in your lineup. And I think that eventually we're going to see that he's eventually going to end up moving on. Well, Gus, the other thing is, too, what have Leaf fans and media been talking about for years? The Maple Leafs having center depth. Now, finally, you have Tavares, you have Matthews, you have Kadri. You have one of the best one, two, three combo centers right down the middle. Build down the middle, strength down the middle. So, to me, uh, that would be a, a last case scenario unless the deal is so good that you can't say no to it because otherwise you'll be right back to the question of, all right, well, now we need center depth. Well, that's exactly it. Once you start removing those kind of components out of your lineup, now you're scrambling to try to find it. Um, and I think when what you're seeing here is um, that depth that you're talking about is also very versatile. I mean, Kadri can play the wing if you have to move him yep. up into the lineup. Um, he could take over just in case of an injury, and Matthews has a bit of an injury concern. Um, you know, Tavares is getting a little older. We just don't know. Injury can happen at any time. But to have a reliable player to be able to step up into the lineup, that's invaluable to a coaching staff. So how do you remove that? Um, so I think that the thinking revolved is is how the Leafs are going to end up building this team to be competitive on a very year-to-year basis. Um, and I don't think it involves removing any of those skilled forwards. It's going to have to involve a lot of the players on the back end. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. You don't get rid of depth like that. So, Gus, when it comes to uh, some of the, the hot Maple Leaf topics around Toronto, Austin Matthews' ice time would rank very high on the list. So earlier in the week, head coach Mike Babcock told the media he likes to have Matthews and Tavares play in the 18 to 20-minute range per night, have Nazem Kadri somewhere in the 16 to 17 range. Do you have any objections to that formula, or do you feel Babcock is deploying his depth down the middle at the appropriate rate? Well, I think that it should be okay. I think at any point in time, you could have one of Matthews or Tavares' line really clicking, so they might end up jostling for who gets the most ice time on a on a regular basis. Um, but kind of going back to my point, if if Kadri's line for some reason is doing something that that is working that particular night, he might eat into some of those other centers. Um, it also depends on things like score. Um, if, if, if the Leafs are run up the score, do you really need to have a Matthews or Tavares on the ice? Can Kadri uh, carry the load from there on in? Um, in an ideal world where they have to be competitive for the full 60 minutes, meaning they're within the goal or tied or whatever the case is, you want to maximize that Matthews and Tavares time, and you're going to start to eat away and erode at uh, the third and fourth line center time. So, so I think a flexibility between 18 and 20 minutes is pretty perfect for Tavares and, uh, and Matthews. And I think Kadri would, would understand um, that that's going to eat into his center minutes. But again, if he's moved up into the roster, I don't think it's a big issue. In conversation with Gus Katsaros, a hockey analyst at McKean's Hockey on Twitter, at Cats Hockey. Now, Gus, going through your Twitter this week, I stumbled upon an assessment you made on Leafs defenseman Igor Ozhiganov. It reads, Ozhiganov is one of the most uh, raggedy-looking players I may have ever seen in the NHL. Gus, what have you seen out of his game that resulted in that assessment? And does he have the base to build upon his skill set and become a serviceable player? Well, I mean, the Leafs did end up going and picking him up as a depth acquisition. I mean, he's 26 years old, so his skills have probably developed to the uh, to the point that he is what he is. Um, I don't really expect him to be a um, a big impact player or grow into that big an impact of a role. But man, he really does look raggedy. His arms flail, his feet <laughs> flail. So he has an unelegant look. But points aren't given for style. As long as he can do the job, and and he has enough. Um, quickness in his feet. First two-step quickness is good. 
Um, he has to adjust a little bit to NHL pace, but the mentality and, and the mentality to retreat it, uh, to retreat at times, uh, from the blue line and zone entries. But I think that he has enough raw skills to be able to provide enough depth, perhaps, uh, something like a regular, uh, third pairing defenseman. Um, his mobility is a bit of a concern, but I think that he's capable enough in his own zone to be able to provide some kind of a presence. So the raggedy stuff, Aside, um, he's a capable, serviceable NHL defenseman. Yeah, he's one of those those depth guys. Uh, Gus, great stuff. We'll talk to you in two weeks. We'll rotate between yourself and Sean Tierney of The Athletic every other week. So look forward to chatting with you again real soon, man. Sweet. Thank you very much. All right. Gus Katsilos, there he goes. Got to follow him on Twitter, at Cats Hockey. That's Cats with a K. K for Katsilos. Huh? You get it. Hockey analyst at McKean's Hockey. We're going to step aside and be joined by Mike Kelly from TSN Stat Center, NHL Network, and The Point Hockey to swing around the National Hockey League. That's coming up next on TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to TSN Hockey Analytics. We're rolling along here on TSN 1050 Toronto. Andy McNamara with you on Twitter at AndyMC81. The show at TSN Analytics. If you miss any of the show, want to go back and hear past episodes or any of this show, you can get us on iTunes, subscribe and rate us there. Also the TSN1050.ca show page, and we'll tweet out the links on Twitter. I'll also pop it up on my Instagram at AndyMCSports. Well, let's welcome in. We had him last year. Very happy to welcome back Mike Kelly from TSN Stat Center, NHL Network, and The Point Hockey. Mike, how's it going, man? It's going great, Andy. Uh, thanks for having me. I just saw that you guys tweeted out uh, that I was going to be on, and I don't know why you used a image of Gritty. <laughs> oh. but I love Gritty so much. Uh, I don't know how you guys know that, but you couldn't have picked a better picture. Producer Sean Lavery just knows. He is he is so chilling, but like you can't look away. It's like the old Kramer painting from Seinfeld, right? Like You just can't look away, but it's awful at the same time. It's a good analogy, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that a mascot has ever embodied its fan base better than Gritty in Philadelphia. <laughs> That's right. You love them, but they can also be quite scary at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike, let's start with the Maple Leafs here. An article you wrote about a month ago on The Point, and you detailed how the Maple Leafs defensemen relied the most on the stretch pass last season out of any team. Now, early on this season, we all know how hot the Leafs' offense has been, but their defense remains in the middle of the pack in terms of goals against per game. So, have the Leafs kept their stretch pass in their system this season? And if so, is that one of the reasons their defense might not be the best among many others? Yes to the first part of your question and no to the second part. Um, yeah, again, they are attempting um, this so far second most uh, stretch passes of any defense core in the league. Uh, I'm sure it'll be first before long. Uh, and again, they're near the bottom of the league in terms of how many of these stretch passes they complete. They're 29th in their completion rate. Uh, this is not why the Leafs struggled defensively. Uh, it's not why they struggled at any point last year defensively. And what I did in the article I wrote before the season started uh, was basically examine, okay, they do this a lot, and they're really bad at completing these passes, so why do they do it as often as they do? And as I continue to pull the thread, what I, what I found out is that a successful completed stretch pass by the Maple Leafs created a scoring chance at a 9-to-1 ratio compared to an incompletion leading to something coming back the other way against them. Hmm. So, you know, it's easy to look at a pass like Jake Gardner in Game 7 against Boston – um, or, or, or really 
focus on these rare, rare occurrences where something gets picked off and comes back and say, oh, the stretch pass, the stretch pass. If you're going to do that, make sure you pay attention to every time it works. Because like I said, it worked at a nine to one ratio for them last year. So why wouldn't you do it? And you just look at the game against the Winnipeg Jets, um, where three of the four goals were created off passes from the D zone into the neutral zone. A um, couple of stretch passes. The, the second goal of the game, not a direct result, uh, but it led to the offensive zone time that they needed to score a goal. Uh, Nazem Kadri goal, a pass whip from the D zone. And then uh, the Tavares goal started on a flip play out of the D zone that Mitch Marner took. So it works a lot. And, uh, and it rarely comes back to bite them when you actually look at everything for and against. So why are they not so great defensively? Um, They actually, this season, have allowed the the fifth fewest scoring chances off the rush of any team in the league. So again, this this speaks to the fact that these aren't stretch passes or really any other plays that are coming back against them quickly. They defend the rush quite well. Um, They are middle of the pack in terms of allowing quality shots against, like you talk about, but their struggles are in-zone defense, in-zone coverage. Um, their bottom five team allowing scoring chances off the cycle. Uh, they struggle the cycle. They give up a lot of chances off lost defensive zone faceoffs as well. Um, so to me, it's just it's in zone coverage that's a problem for the Maple Leafs more so than than anything that's coming back against them in transition. In conversation with Mike Kelly from TSN Stat Center, NHL Network, and the Point Hockey on Twitter at Mike Kelly NHL. Okay, Mike, let's get into the biggest shock of all the Canadian teams somehow. Some way, the Montreal Canadiens, as of today, are 5-2-2 two, and two to start the year, including an impressive 4-1 and one at home. What have you seen that's been behind Montreal's success so far this season, and how sustainable is it? I think Claude Julien's changed the way this team attacks. And, uh, you know, 5-2-2, two, and two, I don't know that that's sustainable. But, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pump my own tires, but I, I think I ranked the Canadians at the start of the season higher than probably, you know, almost anybody else. I, I thought they finished... <laughs> I thought they'd finish fifth in the division. Um, and I'll stand by that. Right now in points percentage, they're fourth in the, in the division. Um, so what, you know, what I like about the Canadians at the start of the season is they don't have a lot of star power, but they have a lot of depth uh, on all four lines. And their defense is a little quicker this year. And Carey Price, if he's anything close to the Carey Price that we've all known him to be in his career, is going to make a big difference. So I, I thought they'd be a competitive team this year, and they have been so far. But like I said with Julian and and the way that they attack, even going back to his days in Boston, um, it was get the puck in, go get it, uh, funnel pucks to the net from the perimeter, win battles down low. That's kind of how he likes to attack. This year they're attacking the blue line with speed and through the middle of the ice. Um, I look at something like their dump-in rate, which is a lot lower than it was last year. It's the fifth lowest in the league this year at 44%. They're not relying on dumping the puck in. Uh, they're third in the league in controlled entries per game, so they're taking the puck across the line with speed. And they've created a lot of goals inside 10 seconds of, of entering the zone with these quick plays in transition. They've got a good breakout this year, um, and I think Max Domi's been such a huge part of this whole thing for them. He, he's looked really comfortable in the middle of the ice uh, at both ends. One of the things I'm tracking this year is end-to-end rushes, so how often a guy takes the puck from the D zone into the offensive zone uh, without moving it. And Domi's top 10 in the league at even strength sandwich between Johnny Goodrow and Nick Ehlers, two really good skaters. So I think he's been a big part of, a, of an overall revamp of how they attack, and, and that's led to team success. 
So that's the Habs. Let's stick in Canada here and go with the Calgary Flames. Before the season, many projections had them a 50-50 playoff team. They're, they're at 500 as of Saturday, 5-5, five and five, losing their last two. But they continue to run into goaltending issues with Mike Smith. 9-1 loss to the Penguins this week. Do you feel that all, most or all of Calgary's problems can be solved with good goaltending, or are there other areas that really need to be addressed as well? No, I think they're really leaky defensively. Hmm. Um, and again, you know, Mike Smith allows nine goals, uh, or not all <laughs> nine, but uh, the team allows nine, and he yeah. goes in for six of them. Um, he bears responsibility for that, no question. But, you know, I look at the Flames offensively, they're, they're fine. Uh, you know, 3.3 goals a game and, and everything underlying looks good. Uh, expected goals against an even strength for Calgary in, in the model I work with, they're last. And shots against an even strength from the slot, they're last. I, the way that I look at block shots is I know what, what a lot of people will say is, well, if you're blocking a lot of shots, you don't have the puck, and it's not good to block a lot of shots. I look at it as a percentage. So how many of the other team's attempts are you blocking? Which gives you a little, a little bit better of a, a reflection of, of a, a team's willingness to do it if they want to do it and how good they are at it. The Flames are last in the percentage of shots that they block. So they're giving them up from, from everywhere, a lot from the slot. Um, there's no pressure on the guys getting these shots from the middle of the ice either, which has been a, uh, an issue for the Flames. So their in-zone coverage defensively has been really poor, and that's leading to some of these uh, results from the goaltending. David Riddick, to me, has, has been really good all year um, in the games that he's played. Uh, Smith can be better, obviously. He's been below average. But you know, beyond the, the stuff that I look at uh, online, I, I like to talk to these guys as often as I can, too. And uh, I was in the room in Montreal after the, the loss they had there earlier this week and, and talking with the, some of the players in there. Um, you know, one guy said to me the schedule's been a little wonky with some weird Eastern Conference quick trips and Central Division travel. And, um, and they're kind of looking forward to November and, and, and getting into a bit more of a regular schedule. And we'll see if that'll help them. But to answer your question, um, doesn't doesn't really matter who's in net. If this team's this leaky defensively, their goalies are going to have trouble. In conversation with NHL Network's Mike Kelly on Twitter, at Mike Kelly NHL. Let's go to a, a negative surprise uh, so far to start the year, and that's the Anaheim Ducks there, Mike. Uh, they have the solid top four defensemen, the blue line's covered, goaltending strong, and Job Gibson, John Gibson. But their offense has really struggled. Can we credit the Ducks' struggles to the fact that they're missing Corey Perry, or are they going through problems elsewhere that just the return of one guy can't solve? The return of Corey Perry is not going to solve their, their problems. Um, maybe he can help them score a little more. You know, Andre Kasher, there's mm-hmm. guys that have missed time this year that, that can contribute offensively. This team's issue is their defense, their team defense. And I talk about the Flames not being good. Uh, I said when the Ducks were 4-1-1, one, and one, I said it again when they were 5-1-1, one, and one, this is the worst defensive team in the NHL. And all you have to do is look at the first 10 games the Ducks played this year, they allowed 25 or more shot attempts from the slot in every single game. And that's something they only did six times total last year. That's something that in the last four years, only one team has had a stretch of 10 games where they've allowed 25 or more slot attempts against them. So John Gibson has been a miracle, a miracle worker for the Anaheim Ducks this year and how good he's been. I mean, he's been the MVP of the league through three weeks of the season, in my opinion, and he's the only reason that they have the record that they do, which, you know, now they've lost four games in a row, and you're starting to kind of see what this team uh, really is in terms of how much they allow and, and how poor they are defensively. But, you know, they can get Perry back. They can get other guys back until they figure out a way to defend. And, you know, I watched the game against Dallas. It's a nightmare in their own end. 
Like they get beat to pucks. They get guys get left open in, in, in coverage in dangerous areas. And like I said, Gibson has been, has been phenomenal. So if the Ducks want to start winning games, they got to figure out a way to defend because right now, like I said, uh, a few games ago, I'll say it again, they're the worst defensive team in the NHL. Man, and we'll end on a, a positive surprise note. The Colorado Avalanche, 7-2-2 two and two to start the year. And it wouldn't have, have shocked me if, if we said before the season that they'd be a, a, a playoff team or, or a bubble playoff team. But to start the year this hot, what can you attribute their success to? Yeah, well, that top line has been unreal. I mean, it's crazy how, how, how well they've played. Uh, yeah. Semyon Barlamov has been really good in net. Um, I'd have him, him as a top five goalie so far this year. Um, but that top line has been on fire. I mean, it, it's such a good blend of, of skill sets. Like Gabe Landeskog is a really good 200-foot player, contributes a lot defensively, and uh, is scoring a ton right now. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, we all know what he's about, MVP candidate last year, finalist, I should say. Um, and, and the third guy on the line, Miko Rantanen, who's, I think he's leading the league in scoring right now. Um, he's got 20 points in 11 games, and uh, he's a terrific player as well. So, you know, we'll see how long it lasts for that top line. You can get into the gritty stuff like uh, um, expected goals for and against when they're on the ice. You know, there probably should be a little bit more coming against them, and, and maybe that'll happen as we play, as we play more games. But um, you got to love what this, this line is doing so far, just carrying this team. They've been unbelievable. Yeah, no doubt. Mike, great stuff as always, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. No problem, Andy. Have a good rest of the show. You too, brother. That's Mike Kelly from TSN Stat Center, NHL Network, and The Point Hockey. Terrific insight there. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Mike Kelly NHL. We'll step aside and to wrap up the show, some fantasy hockey talk. If you have any NHL fantasy hockey questions for your league, DFS, whatever, James Harding joins me. You can tweet me at AndyMC81 and at JHarding underscore hockey on Twitter. Get your fantasy questions in NHL.com fantasy hockey writer James Harding next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Follow me on Twitter at AndyMC81. The show, of course, at TSN Analytics. If you missed any of the program, shame on you, first of all. But it's okay, I got you. iTunes. Go to iTunes. You can subscribe and rate us there for TSN Hockey Analytics. Or go to the TSN1050.ca show page. And you scroll down, you'll see TSN Hockey Analytics. Click on that. You can check out all the past episodes and all that Fun stuff as well. And hey, folks, make sure you check out Three Brewers Micro Microbrewery Restaurants. Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants. Locations all over the GTA. Delicious craft beers on tap and amazing food. Perfect spot for your office holiday party or family celebration. So you can go book that today. Great beer, great food, great times. Three Brewers Restaurants. Let's bring in my great guest with some NHL fantasy talk, James Harding from NHL.com. James, how's it going, bud? You know, Andy, today down here in the New York area is a perfect day to just sit inside and watch afternoon hockey, so I think that's what I'm going to do. That a boy. Why not, huh? It's, it is. It's, uh, it's chilly out, so let's enjoy things. Well, you know what? The people love it, James, so let's give them... Stock up. Stock down. Boom. There you go. Okay, James, give me a, a two stock up for, your, for fantasy leagues this week. 
Yeah, first stock up of the weekend. I'm actually going to head up towards your neck of the woods, just uh, on our side of the border mm. to Buffalo with uh, our man Jason Pominville up there. Oh. Having a great season so far starting out. He's skating on the first line up there right now with uh, Jack Eichel and uh, Jeff Skinner. That line over their last three games since they've been put together combined for seven goals and 17 points. Uh, my quick math says that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> in that span, Pominville, three-game point streak. He's got three goals, three assists, uh, one power play point, and ten shots on goal. So uh, all three of those players are on the first power play unit there with uh, Casey Middlestad and Rasmus Dahlin as well. Uh, so I really like Pominville with his exposure to two elite point producers. Of course, we know Skinner, multiple-time 30-goal scorer, and Eichel uh, with with a consistent line like this I think could be a top 15 fantasy player by the end of the season. So uh, I really love what Pominville is doing up there right now in Buffalo skating on that line. Nice. So that's number one. Who's your other stock up? Uh, my other stock up going to Montreal, Max Domi hmm. right now. Uh, two goals and three shots on goal in their loss uh, to Buffalo in their last game. But he has back-to-back multi-point games, uh, five-game point streak, totaling four goals, three assists, four power play points, six hits. Remember, hits this year uh, being a standard category in Yahoo Fantasy Sports uh, Hockey Leagues. So hits, definitely an important category to be mindful of. So Max Domi, six hits in his last five games and ten shots on goal, centering the second line there with uh, Jonathan Druin and Arturi Lekkonen and uh, on the first power play unit there as well with Tatar, Gallagher, Druin, and another sleeper to watch out for, uh, my sleeper of the year for the Canadians, Jeff Petrie, who yeah. also has a three-game point streak right now and points in five of his last six games. So uh, the Canadians, very, very surprising this year, and uh, Domi seems to be fitting in very well up there. Yeah, Domi's rocking and rolling. So those are the stock up. Who are a couple stock down fantasy-wise we should stay away from? Yeah, a couple of really big names here. And number one, Anze Kopitar. Mm. Uh, when, when you look at his level of production right now and when you consider the fact that he is skating on a line with Ely Kovalchuk, you would expect him coming off of the year where he had last year as a uh, finalist for the Hart Trophy for MVP uh, with 92 points. He only has three points right now in eight games or nine games to open up the season. He's pointless in six of his last seven games. Uh, and in those uh, nine games this season, only 19 shots on goal. So his offensive production is way down. The Kings as a whole have not really seemed to gel offensively. And he's not shooting the puck much, uh, averaging just over two shots on goal a game right now. He preseason was the 11th ranked player in Yahoo Standard Leagues right now, he's ranked number 374. Uh, so oh. I'm, I'm very, very concerned uh, about the ups and downs of Kopitar. He had a down year two years ago, bounced back with the great year last year, and then back to having another down year this year with what you would seem would, would, would be an improved offense with a goal scorer and playmaker like Ilya Kovalchuk playing with him. Yeah, well, that's. I'm sure people spent a relatively high draft pick on them, too, in their NHL fantasy leagues. Who's the other stock down? Uh, my other stock down going to Dallas right now, and that's Jamie Benn. Hmm. Uh, pointless in, in five straight games, only nine shots on goal in that span. So, again, another guy who is known as a scorer 
and a guy who puts up a lot of heavy shot loads and only nine shots on goal in his last five games, so under two shots a goal average in that span, while seeing over 20 minutes of ice time per night this season. Uh, he had eight points in his first four games, but is pointless since then. He has not had Alexander Radulov on his line due to injury for the last three games, and Radulov will probably remain out uh, for their game this weekend as well. He's skating with Tyler Sagan and Justin Dowling on that first line, but Sagan is down as well, only one point in his last five games. So that duo right there seemed to have been really gelling with Radulov, and now with him not there, uh, they're struggling offensively a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can get jump-started when Radulov returns back to that lineup. But you would expect two seasoned point-producing fantasy players like Sagan and Ben to not be going through a lull like this when they're on a line together. So it is a little concerning. I do expect both of them to turn it around uh, quicker than I think a guy like Kopitar will, but it, it's definitely going to be uh, a wait-and-see approach right there. No and I might be avoiding guys like that in DFS this weekend until they jumpstart. Yeah, that's uh, that's disappointing. In conversation with James Harding, NHL.com fantasy hockey writer, on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. Real quick here, James, let's get to a, a DFS sleeper. So if you're popping in your DraftKings lineup here, who's a sleeper and then maybe somebody who might be a little bit under the uh, – uh, or, or somebody overpriced in DFS that you might want to avoid? The overpriced guy, I would probably go to either one of uh, Ben or Sagan right there. Mm-hmm, I probably, mm-hmm. since I said Ben for Stockdown, I'll go Sagan here until he really – uh, turns it back around, but my sleeper, I would say, is Derek Brassard from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, he skated the other night on the wing of a line with Sidney Crosby and had three assists in their prior game. So I, I like Derek Brassard. Obviously, in DFS, he will probably be a center-only uh, player. They probably yeah. won't have him shifted to the wing. He's 4500 bucks. Yeah, and so if you're looking for a mid-level center under $5,000, uh, I, I think Broussard, in, in that capacity, skating with Sidney Crosby would be a great guy to take a flyer on. That's not bad. And if Yeah, if you're popping him into your DraftKings lineup, even as a utility player later on, if you have two other centers that you like, you can slide him right in there, right, at that value? Absolutely. Good stuff, buddy. Well, James, thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, sounds great, Andy. All right, James Harding, NHL.com fantasy hockey writer. If you have any fantasy hockey questions, feel free to tweet him. He's great at getting back at jharding underscore hockey. Well, that'll do it for us this week. For producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050.